Okay, uh, we're going to pray today. Here's the text. So it's Psalm 50, verse 1, the mighty one, God the Lord. Which is interesting, in the original language, it goes like this. It just says, Almighty God Yahweh. So it's like, Mighty God Creator Yahweh, the God of grace. Amazing way to begin a psalm. I've never, I haven't seen a psalm. I, I've been reading these for a long time. None of them begin like that. Just three words for God right off the bat. And then it says, He speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting out of Zion. And this is interesting. So how do you feel this morning? You're Zion, according to this text. You're the church, right? How do you feel about yourself right now? How are you feeling? Here's what, here's what God says about you. The perfection of beauty. Amazing. And then he says, God shines forth, our God comes, he does not keep silent. So we're going to pray all of that. Mighty, creator, redeemer, and he's made you perfect. And because of that, you can have confidence that he does come for you. And he does hear your prayers. And he does summon, and he does speak, and he does work, and he does act in your life personally. So let's pray. Lord, um, mighty creator, redeemer, savior, good news God, God of grace. So Lord, even saying that for many of us, it's just like, oh man, I just wish I believed that. I wish I could believe that more. And so that's what we're going to ask for. We ask for ourselves right now. Oh Lord, help us really, because we're not going to be able to reach inside and pull faith like a magic rabbit out of our heart. We're saying right now, we understand that faith is an effect. It's a, it's a response to what happens when you show up. And so, mighty creator, redeemer, show up. In fact, this psalm says, you do. You shine forth. You come. You're not silent. So we ask you to show up right now for us. And Lord, we're asking you to show up for those that we've said we pray for, for loved ones that need you to show up. Uh, that need to be maybe reached for the first time by you showing up. Uh, but certainly, by those that know you, we need to be reached, renewed a million times by you showing up. May you see, help us see that you're mighty, creator, redeemer. So we pray for those right now. pray for this church, and we pray for your church uh, in Waco, local churches all throughout Waco, and that you would show up mighty, the creator, sustainer, the one that upholds everything, reality itself, truth itself, life itself, and the redeemer, the good news God one that comes and takes 
sinners and turns them into saints in such a way that they're the perfection of beauty. And Lord, we know that that message right here in the Old Testament, when it's been recovered in the church, uh, reaching and renewing the unleashing of heaven, uh, you showing up in extraordinary and normal ways happens in the church. And so, Lord, would you grant this? Would you give the reality of the perfection that Jesus has accomplished for us that's now freely given to sinners and messed up people like us, that you recover that message, you would actually make the church, this church, your church in Waco, this, the centerpiece, the oxygen, the engine of your church in Waco. And Lord, would you grant that it gets clearer, that it goes bigger and brighter and better in our life and in the church in Waco. And then finally, Lord, we pray for those um, who are in need. We continue to pray for Matt. We continue to pray for his family. We continue to pray for Gene Hatton. And we continue to pray for many others, Lord, that um, need healing, need help, need personally for you to speak and not be silent, to come and shine forth for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We're back. Steve was here last week. Uh, I'm so glad he was. Amazing. Um, they're going to be um, here for several months, uh, continuing to um, raise funds for the ministry that God has them over there. Uh, we'll talk more about that if there's ways that we can help individually, ways that we can continue to increase our giving to them as a church. Um, anyhow, the work is... Well, it's a, it's a work that... Not many are doing. Let's just put it that way. Not many have that kind of a call. Not many have that kind of uh, gifting to be able to take abandoned babies uh, and love them. Maybe to have some healing take place and then be adopted or to love them while the Lord takes them. It's an amazing call. All right, so what are we going to do? We're back in Philippians. Uh, we're going to look at, here's the question, what is a local church? So that's what we're going to ask. We're going to ask that question. This is the text. This is what it asks. What is a local church? So what is Redeemer? Uh, what is Harris Creek? Uh, what is Highland? What is Antioch? What is St. Andrew Orthodox Church? What's St. Jerome's Catholic Church? Uh, what is St. Albans? What is the local church? That's the question. Now, any resemblance to any sort of reality in the story I'm about to tell is completely coincidental and should not be pressed too hardly. Once upon a time ago, there was a team, a good team, uh, good enough for coaches and sports writers to pick them to win their district and to go to state. The team was united in this mission. Uh, one mind, one spirit, right? Everyone's in. Every player, all in. One mind, one spirit. Every coach, all in. One mind, one spirit. 
every family and parents of these kids all in, one mind, one spirit. The school was in, all in, one mind, one spirit. The town was all in, one mind, one spirit. Win state, or go, win district, go to state. So the team pushes and pushes and pushes. Winter, spring, summer, two-a-days. Bigger, stronger, faster, better, harder. Win district, go to state. Well, it pays off. The team cruises through its first seven games, crushes everyone, undefeated, three games left, one mind, one spirit, win district, go state. So at game number eight, there's only one meaningful opponent left. There's that. This team is also undefeated. Crosstown rival. I hated Crosstown rival, but it was a mutual feeling. How mutual? Uh, the beloved custodian of this particular team's school lived in that town. And so he spied on them all week. Uh, it's called scouting today, but it's really spying. And he communicated to the coaches and to the team that, hey, at the beginning and end of practice, they take a tackling dummy dressed in your uniform, and they beat on it. Everyone on the team hits it before they go to practice, hits it when they come out of practice, and they chant a player's name. So, it was the night before the big game, and all through the town, not a creature was sleeping, not even a mouse. So, the team is stretching during pregame. They're on their side in straighter and straight lines, stretching lines. One mind, one spirit, one district, go to state. The rival team takes the field to warm up, too, but they're supposed to enter on their side of the team, but their side of the field, but they enter on the opposing, the team's side of the field. And they run through the stretching lanes. Complete chaos. Yelling. Taunting. Reporters say there was actually new words never heard before on the face of the earth were happening in that interaction. Eyewitnesses report that one player on the team who will remain anonymous, quote, rose from the turf to engage in some interpersonal diplomacy. Coaches and referees rush the field. On Monday, the team is at practice. As usual, two more games left on the schedule. The team is stretching, but one player refuses to stretch. Just sits there, won't move, hangs his head. It's over. No district. No state. It's the end of Next to stretching drills, or drills just to warm up, agility, uh, more refusal to participate. Now comes the anger, and now comes the blame, and now comes the selfishness, and now comes the division, and now it's the end of standing side by side as a team. The team ends, and they never win another game. Today's text is about the ultimate team. local church. How does a local church function? And how does a local church fall apart? We stand for the hearing of God's word. Okay, this is, I'm, we're going to do a running commentary because this text is absolutely crucial 
It's a crucial text for the church. I didn't realize how crucial it was until I got into it, and I was still working on it at 1 in the morning last night. So we're going to do a running commentary because you need to see, I need to show you how this text says what it says before we look at what it does to us, okay? So what we're about to look at is what's called a run-on sentence, (laughs) which means it's one sentence, 27 through 30, has one main verb, that's it. Everything else supports it. Everything else is itemized under it or flows from it. So you might want to try to figure out which one's the one main verb. That's an honest thing to do. Also, Paul is famous for doing this. If you remember Ephesians, those of you who know the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, that whole chapter is a run-on sentence that has one main verb. Isn't that interesting? So, here we go. Only, this literally means only, this literally means this is the only thing that matters. Only. This is the only thing that matters. Let your, yours plural, so he's addressing the Philippian church. He's addressing a local church. He's addressing us. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That's the one main verb. It's the first imperative in the whole book of Philippians. Isn't that interesting? It literally means this. Only, this is the only thing that matters. Build your life according to, suitable to, worthy of the good news of Jesus. Around here we say things like, we're about building your messy life and messy relationships and messy church around Jesus and his salvation. That's exactly what that text is saying. So that whether I come to you or see you or am absent to you, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Okay, so this is the first image, and it's taken from two teams in the ancient world. A Roman military unit, or team, or an Olympic athletic team, Olympians, the Greeks, the Athens. So those two things, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving, here's the second one, same thing, number two, a military unit, an athletic team, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And here's the third image, not frightened in anything by your opponents, of a military unit, a military team, an Olympic team, an athletic team. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged, here's image number four, a military unit, a military team. In the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Alright, this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, we ask that you would shine on the page. We thank you that you're not silent, that you have spoken and that you have spoken right here. And would you speak and summon, just like Psalm 50 says, speak to us, summon us, speak us back to life. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so here's the first thing we're going to do about this text. We're going to see the first thing is that a local church is a team. Do you see that? Those four images of a military unit or an Olympian athletic team. Four times that's said over and over again. So the local church is a team. I just want you to let that sink in just for a moment. Now remember, the Philippian church is a healthy church. Everyone agrees that it's a healthy church. So every Bible expert and pastor and church leader and ministry leaders down through the centuries have said, Man, the Philippian church is a a healthy church. Everybody wants, every Christian wants to be a part of a church like that. 
Every Christian would say to the Philippian church, I connect with God there. A healthy church would be like, I connect with God there. A healthy church would be like, I connect with others there. Friendship, community. I connect with mission there. A meaningful mission. I'll never forget the first time that I actually felt that about church. I think I've said this before, but Nancy and I, we, we got to Dallas. I have been to churches our whole life, and then parachurches our whole life, and then churches within this campus ministry my whole life. So I'm, what, was 27 at this time? No, 28 at this time. And the first time we went to a church, so I turned to her and said, I can't believe that I now want to go to church for the first time. A healthy church. That's what the Philippian church is. Every church leader wants to be a part of a church like that. God is there. You connect with people there. Mission is there. So how does a healthy local church function? How does a healthy Redeemer function? How does a healthy Harris Creek function? How does a healthy St. Jerome's function as a team? Now, I want you to think about this. We're still thinking about this. We're still thinking about this team because this is fascinating. I want you to think about the multiplicity of images and ideas that Paul can choose from from the Bible to communicate his, his healthiness about a church, his vision for a church, this Philippian church. He can stretch. He could say things like, well, let's talk about I could use the body with all its different parts. Or I could use a branch that's attached to the vine. These are all these images and ideas that he could choose from to communicate what a healthy church is. He could pick a visible organization because we know that the church in the New Testament is visibly organized. It's seen. It's tasted. Uh, it's present wherever the Word of God goes. So wherever the Word of God is, you can have a tangible church take place. It could become visible. Whenever the Word is preached, the Gospel is preached, a church can be visibly seen and present. Wherever the sacraments are, a church can be touched and seen and heard. It can be visibly concrete. Wherever, wherever there are called leaders, which is called ordained leaders, in that you are visibly seeing a church at work. He could have used that. The visible church, he could have said, listen, I'm going to talk about a healthy church, and I'm going to talk about the visible church, or I'm going to talk about... A branch attached to the vine, Jesus' image. Or I'm going to talk about the body, which is used over and over in the Bible. Or he could have talked about an invisible kingdom. Remember the seed, the church, the kingdom. It's like a, a seed that's planted, and you, you throw it, and you look, and you're like, man, nothing's happening. And the guy goes to sleep and wakes up, and boom, it grows. The seed carries divine life and divine power in it. Amazing. He could have picked that one. He's done it in other places, Paul. He could have put a people. He could have picked a family or the bride. Remember that? The bride of Christ. He could have picked that. He could have picked a building, a house, a cosmic structure that's being constructed like in Ephesians, a temple. Paul. How does a healthy local church function 
second thing to notice about a local church is it's not just a team. It's not just a military unit, like a military unit or an athletic team. It's the ultimate team. A gospel team. Philippians 27, 127, let's put that up there. Only, this is the only thing that matters, here's the one main verb, let your manner or live your life, build your life around, suitable to, worthy of the good news of Jesus. So Paul, the Bible, God says to Redeemer, and he says to you and me, and he says to church leaders, and remember in the verse 1, there, there were saints, he says to all Christians, and then he says to overseers, remember, because he's addressing overseers in verse 1, which means all church leaders, pastors, elders is what they're called. And then he says deacons, which means all ministry practitioners and ministry doers, the people that get things done, the servants. So we would say things like ministry team and staff and deacons and church leaders. The church, Paul, the Bible, God is saying to the church right now, to all of us, the only thing that matters is that you learn to build your messy life and relationships in church around Jesus and the Son. the mission of the church. That's what the church does. That's what the church is. It's a gospel team. It's basically saying, church, be a gospel team. Church, live a gospel life. So Paul, how should a local church function Paul, what's the only thing that matters for a local church to be a gospel team? All right. It's great. Church is a team, major image, but it's more than a team. The only thing that matters is the church, a local church, a Redeemer, a Harris Creek, a Highland, a St. Albans, a St. Andrews, a St. Jerome. The only thing that matters for a local church is that it be a gospel team, that it learn to build its messy life and relationships and everything about the church. So how you connect with God, learn to build everything about connecting with God, to learn to build everything about connecting with each other, to learn to build about everything about meaningful mission and taking care of each other, all the imperatives and commands in the church, to learn to do that around good news of Jesus and his salvation. Amazing, right? So how does a local church become unhealthy? How does a local church fall apart? Here's the question I really am asking. What is the first indication that a local church is not a gospel team? For example, what's the first indication that the church is a high church team? What's the first indication that the church is a team, but it's a team around community? What's the first indication that it's a team around mystical experiences? What's the first indication that it's a team around doctrine? What's the first indication that it's a team around evangelism? Or a team around discipleship? Or a team around education? Or a team around social justice? Or a team around small groups? see how this goes? 
Philippians 1, 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Be a gospel church. Live a gospel life. So that, here's the result, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. You see the implication? He's saying this, that the local church is being built around Jesus and his salvation. There are things that Paul or another person will see. There are things that Paul or other people will hear. We call that today culture. So when people talk about what's the church's culture, you're talking about the things that can be seen, the things that are heard, the things that are touched, the things that are tasted. Paul's saying that. If you do this, and I want you to do this so that I will hear So what kind of culture is being talked about here? That I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Answer, a culture of unity. One mind, one spirit. So Paul, man, what's the the indication that a church is a real gospel church is that there's one mind, one spirit. Unity. Do you see the implication? Only the gospel can unite a church. I mean, there are good things, and that's what's so interesting. There's so many good things that a church can do and that pastors can do. I see it all the time. I can be I can do so many good things. But here's the catch: a good thing, if it becomes the ultimate thing and it becomes the the mission, becomes a bad thing. And not only that, the fruit of it is there will be disunity in the church. It's amazing. So this means friendship. This means actually one mind, one spirit means friendship. What ends up happening in the church is that friends, people make friends. And they make friends by always making new friends. You make friends and you make friends. There's never like, no, this is my friends. It's make friends and make friends and make friends and make friends. Now, All the statistics say, it doesn't matter how large your church is. This is what the statistics say. It doesn't matter how the church-sized culture of your church, that people generally make friends of about 8 to 10 people that they can do that. It doesn't matter if it's a 5,000-person church or a 100-person church. But this does say that the culture of the 10 or 12 people that you're able to have real friendships with or the church at large is one mind, one spirit, a community. It has things like you become this unshockable person because if the gospel's informing you and creating community and unity in you, grace becomes your oxygen and grace becomes the engine of your relationships. You know what happens? You end up being an actually a chill, relaxed person. You're not a freaked out person. You're not a stressed person. You're a safe person. And this strikes completely against my personality. So if you're thinking, oh, great, that's not my personality. It's not my personality either. Not at all. So maybe you need to hear what Dr. Hannah told us. Don't confuse personality with spirituality. The two are completely different. I'm talking, we're talking about a spirituality of an oxygen of grace and redemption in relationships. 
one mind, one spirit. What happens in this too, and being friendships and this unity, what happens is we start needing more and loving less. In other words, we talked about how you can become a vacuum cleaner. Every one of us have a God-shaped, God-sized hole in our soul. So that means we're constantly trying to fill it. We're a Hoover vacuum cleaner. We're sucking everything to try to fill it. But what happens when we're all learning to build our messy lives, our messy relationships, and our messy church, and how to connect with God, connect with each other, and connect with mission to the city, we start being filled with the Spirit. We start needing less and loving more. One mind, one spirit. But this is incredible too. Remember C.S. Lewis says, lovers, look at each other. Oh my. And that's great. I'm all into that. But friends stand side by side and look at the same thing. And so what's happening here is that real friendship is existing in this church, the Philippian church, and in a healthy church. Because everyone has clarity in the mind, one mind. Everyone has realness in the heart, one spirit, about what church is and why the church exists and what the mission of the church is. Good news. Y'all, if the church is not about good news, why go to church? I can give good advice from Jocko Willie better than the church. I can give good advice on parenting better than the church. Get good advice on how to lead and how to run an organization better than the church. If the church doesn't build itself around good advice, what else is there? So, the first indication that a local church is not a gospel team would be what? According to this text, it would be disunity. The end of one mind, one spirit. Okay, some of us are thinking, but if the local church is a gospel team, right? We're thinking this, I know this. This is the implications of the text. The point is, be a gospel team. That's the church. What's the first indication, though, that a church is not and it starts falling apart? It's no longer, there's a disunity, a culture of disunity. Some of us are thinking, though, but if the local church is a gospel team and it's all about Jesus, nothing but Jesus, what exactly do we do, right? Or if we think it's it's doing versus done, it's finished versus not being finished, it's never finished, what exactly do we do? If it's about receiving instead of achieving, it's about his performance and not my performance, what exactly do we do? If it's about doing church to be loved or blessed versus doing church because you are loved and blessed, how do you do church? I mean, some we're so used to doing things in order to get loved and accepted. We're so used to doing things in order to be blessed. We don't know how to do things because we already are. So how do you do church? How do you read your Bible? 
How do you pray? How do you connect with God and connect with each other and try to wrestle and fight with sin? How do you change? How do you do that in a gospel church? What exactly do we do? The second image of a Roman military unit and a Roman athletic team is in verse 27. You see it? Striving side by side for the sake of the faith of the gospel. This is an amazing picture because this is a picture of a military unit that's locked and they are working and exerting and fighting and trying and doing together. Amazing this is so important because you need to remember that images in the Bible are not about belief. They're not primarily about, like, believe this. It's not primarily about, like, feel this. It's not primarily about, like, do this. Images in the Bible are primarily about see this. Images in the Bible are a way to see. And so what this text is saying, it wants us to see what exactly a team does. It strives. It works side by side. But notice where the work is happening. Notice where all the exertion is happening. Notice where all the the doing is happening. (coughs) You see it? Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's in the gospel. my, My voice is going on. out, and it's on the verge of right now. So, if the Christian life, if doing church is swimming, think about it this way, if the Christian life is swimming, if it's exerting, if it's striving, the pool is the gospel. If connecting with God is swimming, the pool is the gospel. If learning to make friends and have gospel conversations and connect with each other, do community is swimming, the pool is the gospel. If all the imperatives and commands and wrestling with sin and trying and seeing God change your life is swimming, the pool is the gospel. We strive, we exert, we work hard, we do side by side for the faith of the gospel. Okay, last. Many today are reporting, quote, fear is my primary emotion. Uh, anxiety, worry, stress, uncertainty, they're all in the same family. So if that fear doesn't mess up, I'm not fearful, but are you anxious? Do you worry? Are you stressed? They're all in that same family. Many people are reporting today that that's their primary emotion. And they're also reporting today that that's their primary motivation. In other words, The primary motivation with God is fear. The primary motivation with relationships, whether it's in marriage or parenting, is fear. The primary motivation at school, on the athletic field, exhibiting their gifts and talents and ability is fear. Maybe it's fear of failure, fear of rejection, maybe it's fear of not doing enough, but it's fear. It's this fear of loss, of not being blessed fear of missing out, the fear of not getting something, you see? So many report that this is the primary emotion of their existence and the primary motivation of their existence. So the third image (coughs) of this military unit is found in verse 28. Let's look at it. And not frightened in anything by your opponent. 
So your opponent can be others in the context of Philippians. The opponent can be uh, those that want to hurt you, harm you, don't like you, enemies, right? Your opponents. It can also be uh, circumstances, so bad stuff that comes at you. It can also be the state, which is a big one in this context, of the state opposing them. It also can be you. You can be your own opponent. The bad stuff that comes out of you can oppose you. Now, the word for frightened here is amazing. So it comes from it comes from a war horse when it smells the blood of battle and it freezes in a frenzy of fear and will not advance and will not go forward and is paralyzed and stuck. And Paul is saying to you and me right now and to everyone who has this emotion of fear that seems to be the primary emotion or this motivation of fear that seems to be the primary motivation of our life. He says, good news means no fear. He's saying that good news is the only power that can push out of Jesus and his work becomes your oxygen and your engine and connecting with God and connecting with others and connecting with athletics and connecting with algebra and connecting with work and connecting with conflict and connecting with suffering and connecting how you handle money. You do that now with no fear. You know what that means? It's the most incredible thing possible. Because fear is a vacuum cleaner emotion. It's displaced with security, rest, joy, freedom, an emotional structure that's outward, not inward. Amazing. What is a local church, the ultimate team, a gospel team that builds everything, everything, life, relationships, church, around the gospel? that stands firm in the gospel, one mind, one spirit, that strives side by side for the faith of the gospel, 